The views, comments, stories, and opinions shared within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. All stories, events, and tales shared within this episode may or may not have happened in the manner in which they are told. They may or may not have even happened at all. The details have been changed to protect the innocent and the guilty alike. This is Squawk Identity. You're listening to Squawk Ident, an aviation podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of Aviator Tony, his co-hosts, and his guests. Together, we will explore the many pathways to an aviation profession, the realities of what a professional aviator can expect in today's marketplace, and we share many stories along the way. I'm your host, Aviator Tony, an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line. This is episode 37 of Squawk Ident, recorded on the 10th of April, 2020, from the Aviator Sound Studios somewhere in Southern California. On this episode of Squawk Ident, I am very excited to be joined by some amazing aviators and my Squawk Ident co-hosts. Today, we will discuss some of the latest moves that have taken place in the aviation industry and how we as professional aviators find ourselves navigating careers and enduring the calamity of our collective new reality. We discuss some of the changes to our daily routines and how voluntary leave of absences are affecting the potential furloughs ahead. From an increase in crew members testing positive to COVID-19 to the New York market nearly coming to a standstill. We take a look at what is happening right now in the aviation market. We also point out the good that is coming of this crisis and share some stories that we hope will lift your spirits as well. So whether you're working from home in your respective fortress of solitudes or out there in public doing your essential part, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show right after a brief word from our sponsors. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I would like to start off the show today by taking a moment to recognize all of the frontline medical professionals that continue to sacrifice their personal safety and well-being in order to care for not only those infected with COVID-19, but also all of those patients that are in need of medical care. From the doctors and nurses to the EMTs, and the firefighters, law enforcement officers, and grocery store clerks, to the hotel employees, transportation workers, and all the other essential workers out there. From the Squawk Ident family to yours, thank you for all that you do. And let's get started with the show. And ladies and gentlemen, joining us today is one of our co-hosts here on Squawk Ident. 
He's uh, currently a DFW-based 737 pilot for Legacy Airlines, the name we use here on the show as an alias to our employer, a legacy carrier here in the U.S. From his fortress of isolation on the 26th floor of the Hyatt Regency in New Orleans, Louisiana, he's a former international and professional racquetball champion, a member of the 9G Club, an AMP and avionics tech, an RC aircraft commander, and a pickleball master. Help me in welcoming back to the show, Rob D. Rob, how the hell are you today? Hey, I'm doing good, Tony. How you doing? It's good to be back. Yeah, you know... It is, and so much has just been in the news and every minute of every day on every electronic device that people have, it's just blown up with all this COVID news, and it directly affects our industry dramatically. Well, also joining us today is an exceptional aviator and co-host here on Squawk Ident. He joins us from his Hampton Inn Suites somewhere in East Texas, where he's escaping the isolation of a house full of stir-crazy children and nowhere to escape to. Well, that is until they called him to work. He is a professional CFI, I, and MEI flight instructor, a former Embraer 145 airline pilot, a King Air instructor, a captain, and a corporate pilot as well. He has type ratings in the Embraer 145, the Lear 60, Falcon 50, 2000, and 7X, and he is just a class act guy. Please help me in welcoming back to the show, Captain Roger. Captain Roger, how are you? I'm doing all right. It's good to be back. How are you, Tony? I'm doing great. Thanks. Guys, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Here we are. So what have you guys been up to? I know it's been kind of crazy with schedules and cancellations. And, you know, Roger, you've been very fortunate to kind of sit at home and, and wait for the call. And you got the call recently. And has this been the first flight you've had to go out and fly since the last time we spoke? This is the first flight that I've done. Actually, it's been uh, March 8th. March 8th was the last time that we flew, actually. And, and even this flight wasn't, wasn't necessarily work. Um, as it just so happens, you know, we have, you know, I fly for a private owner and, um, we have some interior work that can be done on the airplane and needless to say, now's a good time to get that done because the owner's not using the airplane. And so actually this just came up, um, just a couple of days ago and we just decided we just got to move the airplane, um, to get it to the shop. And so we did, no one was in the airplane, no one was in the back. We just moved the plane and and now we'll go back home because we've we've finished that repositioning flight now. So you got called out uh, basically to do a repo flight. And so you're in San Diego. Walk us through it. You get a phone call saying, okay, we need you to come out. Do they book your f- travel for you and you just go to the airport and hop on a commercial flight to get to the location of the airport or the airplane? Or how does that work? Pretty much. Um, you know, it kind of depends. This is obviously a little bit of a, a strange scenario that we have now. Uh, we brought the airplane um, on our last trip and we airlined home. And so the plane was just there. We, we've been at home. Sometimes, depending on the length of the, of the trip, we'll stay with the airplane. This time it was kind of an open-ended thing. So we came home. And so then after that, yeah, we, we get a call. This is what we're going to do. We make our own flight reservations. We don't have anybody that does, that does that for us. We'll make our own and we show up 
to the airport on our own. The two of us just work together, whether we're going to go together separately or however that's going to work, um, depending on what the rest of that trip might look like. And so we went, we actually went to the airport individually this morning um, in San Diego and we got on a flight out this morning, which was a, a different experience <laughs> to say the least. And we got, we got to the airplane. We never left the airport. We got the airplane. We got everything kind of squared away, made sure that everything was, was still attached for lack of better terms and blasted off on our, on our 40 minute flight. And, and here we are, we're going to spend the night here and then head back home tomorrow. And I, I, I guess at this point, wait for the next call. We'll see when we get the airplane back, they'll be done with it before we probably come pick it up though. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. And how, how's that experience walking through these, uh, you know, commercial airports now, how does that differ from what you're used to? It was unreal. You know, when, you know, flying out of San Diego's Lindbergh field, when you walk up and it's broad daylight and you wonder if the airport is even open, it's a very disconcerting experience to walk. You know, I walked from the short-term parking because I'm only there for, for one night. Um, Walked from the short-term parking. There was not a single soul in the parking lot. And then I walked over the sky bridge and there was not a single person on the curb waiting to get picked up. There was not a single car dropping a passenger off. It was a, it was a ghost town. We had 10 people on the flight um, this morning with on a 737. And, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a BBJ. We got the 737-700 for, you know, 15 to 18 passengers. And we had, we had less than that. Uh, on the 737 all to ourselves. And it was a very interesting ex- experience to say the least. Um, you know, we, we got thanked for, for giving, for giving the airline a, a little bit of, oh, you're right. a little bit of income. Absolutely. I'm sure that it probably, you know, covered at least 5% of their fuel bill. <laughs> Maybe 0.5. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. And, and we're going to, you know, well, we spend a little bit more on the ticket, so we'll, we'll give them that. Yeah. Well, you know, the um, we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. And a lot of questions that have uh, come across my inbox is, why are you guys still flying? And, you know, a lot of the family and friends have, have sent me messages or text messages saying, hey, you know, your, your planes, I see on the news that they're empty. Why are you putting yourself at risk? Why do you have to work? Why can't they just keep you home? And we talked a little bit about that in the last show. It's all that stuff that's down there in the cargo hold. You know, in the last couple of walk-arounds I did, I kind of took note, you know, because they're still out there throwing boxes and bins of things. What are they? It's pretty much, I saw four tugs full of U.S. mail getting loaded on the bottom of our airplane um, last week. And there's, you know, boxes and, and shipping containers. So the shipping is still strong. Um, yeah, I'm sure that that's a an under an underappreciated or underrealized aspect of what domestic air, airlines do do is transport a a rather sizable amount of of mail. Yeah, yeah. especially. Yeah, for sure. So, and Rob, what about yourself? You're in the middle of a trip. I know. Last time we spoke, uh, you were at home uh, playing some pickleball with the family, and we kind of uh, heard <laughs> all about that. And uh, and I, it didn't cancel, huh? You you actually had a trip that worked out well it 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 was a uh it's a trip that's pieced together so um 
the original trip did get canceled up. And uh, so they put together some flying for me. I've got a four day trip and I'm doing four flights total on a four day trip. And one of the flights is going to be a deadhead. So um, it's not very productive, but uh, you know, we just got to, you know, keep, keep the uh, planes moving. And like you said, get people and cargo to where they need to be. Uh, so today I'm in, uh, today I'm in New Orleans. Or how do you say that? Nolans? Nolans. New Orleans. Nolans, Nolans. baby. Yep. So surprisingly, we had 49 passengers on board. Hey. Uh, but there was, there was about six deadheading crew member crew members on that one. But uh, so uh, what's that? 43 total passengers. So um, paying passengers. So yeah. it was uh, probably the, 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 crowd, the most crowded airplane I've flown in about three weeks. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, I was operating a flight a few days ago, and I think we had 30 total on board, and that's six crew members mm-hmm. plus another 12 deadheaders. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you didn't have that many. A lot pa- of deadheading going on. Yeah. And then the paying passengers, you know, they're, you're always kind of curious, like, where are you going? What, why, why are you flying right yeah. now? Are you essential? Are you, are you just going to right. Santa? I mean, you know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, uh, the passengers we had on board, they didn't look essential. <laughs> hate to say that. hate to be blunt. Uh, but <laughs> did you see some interesting you know, you protective kind of gear there? I mean, I've seen some pretty crazy uh, stuff. Yeah, there's some good stuff. I mean, um, you start to see some uh, interesting stuff like, you know, some, a lot of people like to wear their, uh, sports teams, um, colors. So, you know, Green Bay or, you know, pulling into here, you'd see a lot of New Orleans Saints um, football stuff uh, as as like a handkerchief or, a, um, you know, a homemade mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was pretty, that's neat to see. Um, yeah. I saw something on, on uh, social media where a nurse had a, uh, looked like had Mick Jagger lips. And uh, when, when she opened it up, it had a big, huge smile with a you know mouthful of teeth. Nice. So that was that was kind of funny to to see that. So people are getting creative, and um, you know they're they're I guess they're doing their part to uh, um, try to contain this thing. Yeah, I was looking online for a, a Bane mask that I could somehow modify and throw an N95 in there somehow. It'll change my voice. It's a voice changer. <laughs> so you want to fly today? <laughs> <laughs> no luck, though. Nothing nothing funny. that would, would work out or would be approved by the company. But, hey, you got to have fun <laughs> with it, right? you got to try to... Absolutely. You know, now that the FAA and the DOT have said that we should, as flight crew members, be wearing masks anytime we're on a flight duty period... Roger, do you have any kind of direction at this point from the FAA for uh, the the private side of things? No, we don't get a whole lot of oversight on the Part um, 91 aspect. Yeah. We kind of are left to our own devices. We I have not seen any guidance from anywhere. I do get some updates um, from a previous outfit that I did work for who do, who has a 135 arm, and, and I'm still on there on their list. And, mm-hmm. and so most of the updates I get, which I'm actually pretty grateful for, um, especially when it comes to flight restrictions, both the, both domestic and international, but that's kind of a, uh, something that I, I wouldn't normally get. It's not associated with my job, but 
at all in any way. The only guidance that we've gotten is actually internal. Um, and in the end, internal is really just three or four of us um, on how now we're going to do things differently. And in the end, we haven't even had to use it yet because we haven't had a, a we haven't flown a passenger um, ever since this started for good reason. Obviously, I, you know, I think that that the owner is making a, a prudent choice sheltering in place, just like the rest of us. But no, we have not gotten any FAA guidance at all. I did not wear a mask today. Um, we do not interact with the public, really. We were actually in a, in a strange turn of events. I, I was prevented from going into the FBO today, um, which was fine. I mean, we were only there for, in the end, half an hour. Was that because you were not wearing a mask or what was the reasoning? No, that was actually because um, I had come from California. And because I had come from California in Texas, um, or to Texas, I'm under a self quarantine, which is, I was going to ask you that, uh, mm -hmm. how, how is that handled, uh, from the, um, general aviation side? Cause in, at the Dallas Fort Worth international airport, there are literally 10, uh, state troopers at all the gates and they're, uh, they're, they're asking everybody that deplanes the airplane, where are you coming in from? And where are you headed? And if they're staying in Texas, they're forced to quarantine for uh, 14, for 14 days. days. Yeah, correct. So that's pretty much what it was um, where we landed um, when we had got when we had arrived in Austin. They had closed off the all the exits except for one, and they did have it cordoned off so that you were siphoned down to one person who did ask where you were coming from. And then okay, we're coming from California, and so we got shuttled off to the GPS officer who had us fill out the paperwork and okay, well, we're going to be here. Basically it was, I mean, for us, it was I, probably a little bit less because for two reasons, one, because we were, um, we were flight crew, right? Well, Hey, we're flight crew and we're only going to be here one night because really we're just picking up an airplane and then we're going to be going right back home. Um, but that's, that's how they were doing it from the commercial side. You know, if you're coming from one of those areas of, of concern, I think is how they're phrasing it. Um, and then past that, you, you, you get shut, shut off to a, a separate officer. Um, and now it's, you know, not that I really have anywhere to go, but I'm pretty much quarantining myself in my hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. We have, uh, uh, some information, you know, hits our e email inbox for work here at legacy airlines, probably every, would you say Rob, a couple hours we're getting something either from from HQ yeah, or yeah. from chief pilot or from director of flight ops or director of training or something. Um, and yeah, yeah. I see at least two emails uh, a day minimum. Yeah. And a lot of it is, okay. So if you're, one thing is the company sent us a PDF where we fill out our employee number and name and, and print this form out. And it's by the department of transportation authorizing us as flight crew members while on duty. If we are in a city, where they have some kind of shelter in place program like Texas does. And you know, you're at a hotel and you're and you have to get out and get some food. If you get stopped, you're supposed to carry your ID, uh, your company ID and this form with you. And it allows you, it says that you're an essential employee and it allows you basically to, you know, have to do the the necessary things you need to do, like get food and, and exercise and whatnot, and then again leave to to work because you're working. You're a working crew member. Uh, or an essential employee. Um, and that's what I was curious. If you were given that, are you considered an essential employee? Did, did you get any kind of 
documentation about that? Um, or are you kind of just on your own because it is a part 91 and therefore not essential? We are on our own. Wow. The, I, I have gotten some paperwork, um, again, through the previous outfit that I had worked for that does, that basically is a paperwork saying that you're an essential employee as part of a flight crew. However, that's kind of an unsanctioned thing because I'm not working under the part 135 aspect of it. Uh, right. I don't have, a, you know, kind of what you were just talking about. You know, you mentioned the fact that you have, you got to carry your ID. We don't have an ID. We don't have, I mean, I work for a company, but that's really more for legal and tax purposes really than it's, you know, this is that I, I go out and I say who I work for. Yeah. I, I would venture, I guess that, that neither one of you guys knows who I work for. Cause I never talk about it. I don't talk about it to anybody because it's kind of a, it's a moot point outside of just the operation that I work in. Sure. Um, and because of that, because there's no ID, the FAA really doesn't care of the company. We don't have an operating certificate. We don't have um, anything like that. That kind of means that we're on our own and we almost kind of have to make it up on our own about what, you know, and I'm sure that different DPS officers, not that we had an issue, but even, even different, even different individual officers might be treating it differently. And I cannot say that with certainty. Um, don't get me wrong, but what exactly constitutes a flight crew member? I, I'm not entirely sure. Fortunately, we didn't have an issue. Number one and number two, the rules are there for a reason. You know, you can make arguments, you know, left, right, up and down and sideways to this whole thing. But I do think that in the end that there, that this is a good thing and I, and I'll do my part. And I'm not going to try and flaunt the rules anyway. Yeah. But in in terms of guidance, we don't have much of anything on the Part 91 side. Right. Right. And I, I believe if I read at least the quarantine coming in and out of Hawaii when that started to happen, that if you're under quarantine for 14 days, let's say you fly into Hawaii for whatever reason on one of the uh, flights that are still operating and you land and they say, okay, 14 day quarantine, what's your hotel or, you know, what's your residence? And you're going to go there. And if you're caught outside of that residence, then, uh, you know, you're, you're subject to a fine, even, uh, time in prison. Uh, and I was speaking with an individual who traveled, uh, recently and went home and, uh, they told them, okay, uh, your quarantine in your home, uh, is this your home phone number? And they, they gave them their home phone number to go, it's not a cell phone. It's a home phone. And they're like, yes. Like, okay, we're going to call this number every day and you have to answer. If you, it goes to voicemail or you don't pick up, we're going to dispatch an officer to your location. And if you're not there, it, you know, you're subject to, you know, a violation, which was going to be thousands of dollars in fines. And I believe after the third violation, they, it's six months in prison. So, uh, this is some serious stuff. And, but what I also understand is in your case, Roger, if you get somewhere and they go, okay, you're under 14 day quarantine, you're, you're restricted to your hotel room. But I believe in that language, and it might be different from state to state. It does also indicate that if you are going to leave, like if you were in Hawaii and you're like, okay, well, it's been three days, I'm stuck in my hotel. I'm just going to go back home. As long as you make arrangements with your transportation, with your airline, you can then travel from the hotel back to the airport to get out of there. So it's not like you have to stay That's there for correct. 14 days. So, you know, as a working crew member of a part 91 operator, if you were stuck in a place and they say, well, you got to be here for 14 days, technically, I believe 
that the rules allow for you to leave the facility in which you are quarantined in order to leave the state or go back home. And all of the states that I have um, that I have looked into do have a specific provision that allows you to leave your quarantine location in order to leave their state. Basically, yeah. I think that if if you're out of the state, they're not worried about you. Um, you know, spreading any illness and all of the ones that I have looked at have, they're actually specifically allows for you to, to leave their, to leave your quarantine in order to leave the state directly to, or from your hotel or place of quarantine directly to the airport and then onto wherever you happen to be going next. So have you guys seen any uh, really major changes to your daily routines? I know we've all kind of been in isolation in our respective towns. And unless we were going back and forth to work, have you seen any changes in uh, in your routines, how you're handling things at home? Well, I think that question, I think, depends from a professional perspective versus a personal perspective. Um, for me, you know, for on a on the professional front, obviously, the fact that I just don't work as much, um, we did have a lot of trips that did drop off and cancel or postpone. And so I'm not working as much. Although sometimes, quite frankly, there have been stretches where we'll go several weeks without, without flying or without working. That's a normal thing in the course of, of work that, that I do. This is definitely something a little bit different, but more on the personal front. And for the reasons, you know, normally if we're going to be off for a couple of weeks, it's just because nothing's going on. You know, on a personal level, I, I think that everyone I'm just about everyone in the entire world can can attest to the fact that this that this has affected us in in any number of different ways, um, and will probably continue to affect us for a long time to come, um, because this is definitely something that's been unprecedented and is going to, you know, I can say for me personally is has affected me mentally and emotionally. Um, even physically, I mean, the quarantine 15, I think is, is something that's going to be a very real issue for me, um, to be, to be honest with you, because without that, uh, without that physical exercise, you know, things, yeah, it's, it's harder to, to stay active. It really is. I mean, I haven't really, I normally go on my long runs while I'm on an overnight and that really has not been happening, you know, and I know Rob, you, you were able to get out today, uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Here you are in Nolens, Louisiana on an overnight here. The yeah. hotel's empty. And knowing what's yeah. going on in New Orleans, how did you get out there? Was it a challenge or what did you see on the street? No, actually, it was, it was um, it's actually quite nice because uh, as you, you, you're a runner, so you know, running in the city is normally uh, pretty crazy, you know, with the every intersection your head has to be on a swivel for cars and bikes and, you know, running around people and stuff. And, um, there is literally nobody out there. I mean, it, it, there's very few people in there. The people that are out there are the runners and the bicycles, people on, on cycles, um, get, uh, getting their exercise. And, um, I ran down to the uh, river, the Mississippi river and, uh, ran along the river. They have a nice little boardwalk area. And, um, uh, there were, it, it wasn't crowded. They had a lot of people just uh, outside enjoying the uh, fresh air. And um, they weren't really picnicking, but they were laying out on towels 
on some of the grassy areas and uh, everybody was social distancing, but there literally was uh, probably at this one little park, maybe five people uh, and, and the park's big enough to hold hundreds of people. Right. So, it, you know, it's really empty. And um, as I ran by all the restaurants and, and the hotels and stuff, it's, it's everything's closed down. Uh, the only restaurants that were really open were the ones that were providing takeout service. Um, so the run was really, really nice in that aspect where you didn't have to worry about traffic or uh, um, pedestrians. Uh, just crossing streets at will. Uh, jay jay running or jay walking across stuff as you as you will yeah uh there's really nobody out there to deal with so it was, it was quite nice well you know normally when you run you usually get some kind of recognition by those around you especially in the cities you know did you miss yeah. hearing the uh <laughs> yeah i don't i don't know about you but i don't get those that often oh, no? <laughs> when they see me running no, they, they kind of like, oh, we got to set up for another street repair. So there's always some kind of bubba that's out there going, hey, you got a pretty mouth. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, I, I didn't get any of that. Or if I did, it was, uh, it was long past them. So <laughs> yeah, you should get out though. And you, it's nice. I mean, I, I, I you know, you see, you're not going to be around people. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the social distance thing is, you know, not an issue. Yeah. As long as you're not uh, under, well, you know, we have issues here in California where a lot of the parks have uh police tape around them because so many people are going yeah. to the park. And I mean, for the most part, the walking trails are open. Uh, but yeah. uh, just two days ago, we went up to uh, an area here in Southern California, uh, Mount Baldy. Mm -hmm which is uh, some of the mountains to the uh, northeast of Los Angeles International Airport. And some of the peaks are up there around 10,000. They, they get snowfall up there. It's been raining here off and on for the last three or four days. And I thought, you know, I just got back from a trip. The girls have been locked up in, in the house. They don't really go out for any reason. There's no need to. So uh, when I come home, we do our best to go out and get a little bit of fresh air. You know, normally none of us really leave the car. Uh, for any reason, we go out, we go to a park, um, and we'll do a drive-through, get some coffee or some some drinks, and and go to, for a walk to get some fresh air, to get a little bit of exercise. And on this day, uh, I knew that it was going to start snowing around 5 p.m., and I thought, well, well, let's go watch the snowfall. That's not something most people in Southern California get to see. So we drove up to Mount Baldy, and of course, they have those traffic signs everywhere saying that all trails are closed, and all the trailheads, all the everything was closed. They didn't want to take away from the emergency services if somebody gets hurt up on a trailhead, and now they got to dispatch a, you know, some kind of EMS or something out there. And so everything was shut down. However, the roads were open, and we we actually drove up there just for. An in the car picnic. And as we sat there towards the peak, it started to snow. And so it was a really cool thing to see, you know, Southern California with snow. And uh and today wow. it it snowed heavy there. So we got up really? there, drove down. Luckily we have a four-wheel drive vehicle, so we we drove a little bit in it, but we got back down the mountain before it really started to dump. But oh, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah, me and my uh my wife had a in the car date the other day, a lunch date. We, uh, we went, we were going to Lowe's to pick up some, um, 
some light bulbs and stuff that had burned out in her house. And uh, she's like, hey, let's go buy that new salad place and get a salad and eat it in the car and have a lunch date. I'm like, all right, well, that sounds good. So that was kind of our own little, uh, you know, half hour excursion from the house Mm -hmm. this week. You know, it was small, but it was nice and simple. And yeah, I hadn't listened to a car radio in a while. (laughs) So that's something we kind of did in the car, just listen to talk radio, which uh, we, we like to listen to um, talk AM talk radio, like Rush Limbaugh and stuff like that whenever in the car. So um, that was kind of nice. Hadn't done that in like two weeks. So, yeah. And, and it's important to kind of be able to do that too, to get, get out of the house. Cause you might just sit there and eat bonbons and watch movies and play PlayStation or Xbox and gain 15 pounds. That's, it's kind of what I was just thinking is, you know, I don't even know, um, you know, if you're talking about Mount Baldy and them closing the trails. Is that really for the emergency personnel? It's, it's almost like, like I, pl- I play a fair amount of tennis and the tennis clubs closed. And then I had a couple of, of friends that had um, lived in complexes with tennis courts. And then just last week, I guess it was last week, both of them back to back days, the apartment complexes they walked up to tennis courts. Yeah. It's like that nobody ever uses. I mean, if there was, you know, ever a social distancing sport, tennis is kind of it. You, you stand on opposite sides of the court and, and you don't want to, and you stay away from each other. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's almost like they're trying, I think they are trying to discourage us from doing anything that has any, has any potential for being close to anybody else. Yeah. And yet at the same time, everybody also knows, like you were just talking about, how important it is to also get outside, to, to, to get fresh air, to get some semblance of physical activity. And yet at the same time, they're, they're, they're taking away almost every, everything that's, that enables us to do that. It's, it's such an, an odd dynamic. And, and again, don't get me wrong. It's not, I don't have an answer for it. I'm not saying that that's the wrong thing or the right thing to do even it's just an, an interesting dynamic that on how important it is to get outside. Cause I, I do believe very strongly, even if for, for psychological purposes, but it's, it's getting harder and harder to do that because it's, it's being frowned upon so much. It seems. Right. You know, and this kind of new normal, it's only temporary. We're going to get through this. It's not like, this is the way it's going to be forever. Um, you know, a lot of, what we're hearing in the news uh, just today is a lot of this information about having these tests distributed that you could pick up at the local pharmacy here soon enough where it'll test to see if you have the antibodies for this because there are reports out now that indicate that 80% of the Americans that have this COVID-19 or 50% of the population may have already had it and not even known it because 80% uh, that go through it may be in, uh, asymptomatic, which these numbers are huge. It means I could have had it. I could have had it, you know, weeks ago, months ago, and I wouldn't even know it. So why do I need to continue to maintain this isolation? Why does the, the country have to be in this economic turmoil? If I've already had it and I have the antibodies, why can't I choose if I want to go back to work and get back to be a productive member of society? And if this happens, this is going to be a huge turning point. But until that happens, we in the airline industry and in the aviation community have to kind of follow suit of what's happening. And we're kind of at the mercy of the economy here, you know, not even the mercy of the airlines or management, but the mercy of what's happening around the world. 
And lately, uh, Rob and I have been receiving a lot of emails from the company, as we mentioned. And one of them came through just today, Rob. I don't know if you saw it, but the company offered last month some permanent early retirements. So 62 years or older, you were able to put in for early retirement. If you got it, then you would get paid 50 hours a month pay credit until your 65th birthday. And we had 600, what was the number up? 664, was it? Actually, I don't remember the exact number. However, I did read an article. Uh, if you're talking about the first round or total, um, I'm not sure which, which, uh, what you're asking about, but the, I read an article today that I think said a total of 715 total early retirements. Yeah, I did. I, so, and I see that here. They, so at Legacy Airlines um, and our, our sister company as well here, uh, they awarded 99 more voluntary leave of absences, including nine of them that were Czech airmen. Uh, the total number escapes me here, but it might pop up here in a moment. Uh, 3,649 pilots submitted for their voluntary short-term leave of absence request, with an additional 50 Czech airmen submitting for those short-term leave of absences. 235 pilots submitted their short-term leave of absence request and were deemed by the company to be ineligible to apply due to various reasons, including being part of a 17-plus day unpaid leave currently or scheduled for training or not consolidated. So there were reasons that the company would uh, deny uh, the fact if you wanted to take a short-term leave of absence, uh, so not everybody was eligible. The number of six-month right. voluntary leave of absences over at Legacy, 462 pilots took that. Uh, Three-month wow. leave of absence were awarded to 932 pilots. And the wow. one-month leave of absence total awards, 1,937. Number of wow. one-month Czech Airmen leave of absence totaled 43. For a total of short-term leave of absences at Legacy Airlines of 3,374 pilots. So yeah. either one month, three month, or six months, either way, we have 3,700 or 3,374 pilots that were awarded these short-term leaves of absence. This is going to be a huge help to the company. So, what, so from a percentage standpoint, what you had about... Is that about 20% of your, your total pilot workforce? Well, we have 15,000 yeah, plus, right? 15,000, yeah. So that's about, what, 20, 20%, yeah. a fifth of it? Yeah. Yeah. About, but that doesn't even include the permanent the long leave of absences. Um, yeah, the permanent guys, too. Yeah, so the, the permanent leave of absences, they get 50 hours of pay credit until their retirement date, and yeah. the voluntary get 55 hours of guarantee, respectively. So yeah. to get paid three quarters of your pay, really, because the minimum line guarantee at Legacy, I believe, is 65 hours. So to get paid 55 yep. hours or 50 hours, and normally most people do like 80 hours, 75 to 80 hours is what a, a line holder can expect in terms of pay credit per month. At least that's what the trend was prior to entering all of this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's not, not a bad gig. It seems pretty like a, a pretty good deal. I mean, you're basically getting a one, three, or six month, you know, two thirds pay vacation. You know, yeah. you don't need to come into work. Yeah. Yep. 
And considering last on the last show, we talked about the revenue over at Legacy. How, what was it, Rob? Was it like 2% of what they did in 2019? Was it yes. went from 144 yeah. million to two? Like 50 million. Yeah, some, <laughs> yeah, something ridiculous. So, yeah. Uh, oh, I, yeah. I, I had a different figure in my head, but yeah, it was, it's ridiculously low. Yeah. So here we are. I, re- I read an article somewhere where we're flying. Um, the flights have been reduced to the numbers of 1950s. Uh, so, uh, the year 1950s. That's how many flights we're uh, we're doing. I was in the Dallas Morning News this morning. So yeah, you know, and, and it's crazy. All this is going on, and we received word just yesterday at Legacy Airlines that flight training has been suspended until May. So I believe it was May 11th, if I remember that email correctly. So even flight training, unless you are in the schoolhouse right now, getting recalled, recurrent, long-term, short-term, whatever you're doing, all training has been suspended. And the only reason for that, according to the company and all the email communications that we've been getting, is simply for safety. It's in, in the event that you know we can keep that training facility free from virus contamination. So pilots that were scheduled to go to flight training in the next month or so uh, it's all been suspended and it kind of makes sense if you're going to give all these leaves of absences, uh, short term or long term, whatever they are, and then, you know, have an, a basically empty schoolhouse. What's the point? So in an abundance of safety, they've suspended all flight training as well. And the general aviation side is, is to some degree trying to follow suit as well. Uh, we haven't gotten any specific relief from that. Uh, because there are so many general aviation operators out there. But just, I think it was yesterday or the day before, I know that there's a large number of Part 91 operators that are out there that are trying to get relief from the um, the currency aspects. Whether you're coming up for your, your 12-month um, recurrency, mm-hmm. because so many people are are worried. They're trying, I mean, okay, we're supposed to stay in. We're supposed to to basically self-isolate, social distance and all that. And it's kind of hard to do that, obviously, when you're when you're supposed to go to training. And so out of the abundance of caution that you're talking about, I know that that the FAA has been inundated with requests on on relief for that recurrency aspect, even in the the general aviation side as well, not just on the airlines. Yep. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think we touched on it before that I they've already exercised relief for medical certificate privileges. And I think it's through June now, I believe it was. Um, I'm fortunate that I, I don't need to worry about that, so I can't say that I paid that much attention to it. But you can exercise the the privileges of your medical certificate past where, where its previous due date or expiration would have been. And I, so I think that it kind of it makes sense that the currency aspect is going to follow, especially when it comes when it has to do with with simulator yeah. reds and the like. Yep. Yeah, I kind of wonder if uh, how how uh, you know, like if if you do have a, a type rating and you know you have your private private business or private company, and let's say it's deemed essential, you know, is is the FAA offering any? Uh, wondering if the FAA is offering any uh, you know extensions to their like you were talking about their training and stuff. That's that's pretty interesting. Never really yeah, thought of it. Yeah, I think that, that what's going to happen is you're going to have to unfortunately 
and unless the FAA has the foresight and the willingness to just go out there and, and give a blanket statement that all currency, all base months that were in, what are we, April or May or whatever it is, can be extended by two or three months. But other, if in the absence of that, it's it's almost like every single individual operator, or maybe even even every single individual pilot, is going to have to to file for that. I'm not entirely sure. I'm yeah, I'm not either. I don't fall into that category. Uh, my next, for instance, my next training event is coming up in July, and I'm hoping that that's all going to kind of get get sorted out before then. Yeah, interesting topic. Because I, you know. I know that CAE is still open, for instance, but you know I, I don't know what the I don't know what those classes look. I can only imagine what it's like with people trying to to sign up because they think they're supposed to show up for for training, and then they're too scared or don't want to go to training, and then all the cancellations and last minute. I, I assume that that much like everything else, that's probably just a mess. Yeah. Also. And and we'll see what the FAA decides to do about that because I'm sure that I'm sure that it's something that they're looking at uh, quite a bit right now. Yeah, and so. I know that a lot of CAE locations uh, before they even allow you in the building, you have to sign in through an electronic pad at the front door. And if you indicate that you are from out of state, it, depending on what state you're coming from, they may not even let you in the building. So if you're from New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, uh, some of them from California, if you're going to a CAE in a different location, they're not letting you in the building because of the quarantine restrictions. So, you know, make sure before you go, you make a phone call uh, before you hop on a flight or, or, or take a long car ride to get out there. Um, also, what's happening is we're starting to see that the FAA and the CDC have both recommended that all pilots during their flight duty periods are wearing a face mask. And our company is providing face masks to the pilots, uh, which uh, they can be picked up in the chief pilot's office with their respected domiciles. And they sent out an email a few days ago. I was looking for it and I did find it. And it, and it just indicates the proper wear and care. Uh, and they indicated whether you're bringing your own or wearing one the company has provided, we want to be sure that you have the information you need to wear, remove, and care for your face mask properly. And it... Uh, tells you to visit their company website on tips on how to properly wear the mask while you work. And this is important because, I mean, we've all had to go to the grocery store or, or take a run out, get out in public, and you see people wearing a mask, as Rob is so eloquently <laughs> demonstrating right now. So when you put the mask on, right, you're supposed to not touch it from the front. You're supposed to hold it up from the sides and the strap and place it over your nose and mouth and make sure that you absolutely strap it on, tighten it up and don't touch the front of it. Try not to touch your face, all those things. How many people have you guys seen wearing the mask down around their neck, not covering their nose because it's hard to breathe in? I mean, what, what's the point? Because if you take that off, even for a moment and you're in public and somebody walks past you and you're breathing the air that they were breathing, blowing, farting. Who knows, hey, right? Hey, 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 hey. You can't fix stupid. You can't fix stupid. Anyway, no, just kidding. So make sure, 
And we're gonna we're gonna do the show through the mask. No, I'm kidding. We're not gonna do the show through the mask. Make sure you're putting the mask on and taking it off. Now, these uh, surgical masks are great. They're cheap. You can actually you can get them right now on Amazon. I ordered a, a bunch of packs on Amazon just to have them. I do have plenty to last me a while. Um, and what you can use these a few times. Uh, you can either put them in a UV light box. I don't know if you guys seen these. Uh, they're a little bit bigger than your cell phone. You can buy them on online for $19 to $29. And you put your phone in there. You push a button. It's plugged into a USB power supply. And it'll bombard your phone with UVC, one of the strongest UV lights. Now, there's no absolute definitive proof that that kills all types of viruses. But it does kill virus and bacteria. So that's great. You can also put your mask in there. Um, I've been spraying them with Lysol and leaving them in the garage. I don't bring them in the house. So I come in through the garage, take everything off in the garage. All the clothes go in the washer every single time. No shoes in the house. And the mask gets laid out on the table we have set out there. We spray everything down with Lysol, leave it out there, let it sit, and hopefully not have to touch it for a day or so until it dries out and reuse the mask. Um, The N95 masks are absolutely the best thing to have. and if you have one and you can get them, by all means, you can also use those and put them in these UV light boxes as well. Um, and hey, if you're going to wear a bandana, so be it. If that's all you have, a homemade homemade uh, a mask. I saw some pretty interesting ones on my last trip. We had lots of families traveling together and, and they had these homemade masks. Some people can sew a little bit better than others. That's all I'm going to say. But hey, the effort is there and I applaud all of those you know, individuals and family members that are sitting there making masks, uh, not just for themselves, but for their, their family and their, their loved ones. So good job, everybody. Yeah. I sent a a link to my daughter from the, uh, CDC website on how to make, uh, you know, self make your own mask. Mm -hmm. And, um, so my daughter just today, when I left for work, she started, uh, putting some together and she sent me a picture and uh it looks pretty good she did a pretty good job so she made some one for me one for my wife and one for her sister and yeah uh, they wore it out on town today so she's pretty proud of it good you know and you know they have to be at least four to five layers thick or you can use yeah. those uh hepa filter vacuum cleaner bags i saw some pretty good videos on how to make your own mask with a hepa filter on the inside that you can pull in and out and change out so Good stuff. But, you know, about two weeks ago, none of the pilots that I saw in the airport terminal were wearing a mask. Not one. People were. Passengers were. Uh, Probably 10, 15, maybe 20% of the flight attendants were wearing a mask in public in the airport terminal. This last week, on this last trip, almost everybody was wearing a mask. And most of the pilots were wearing masks. And no one would bat an eye or scoff or give a look. I mean, everybody's wearing a mask. And that's great. That's if that's what we need to do to kind of kick this thing and, and and get past this hump. By all means, don't be ashamed. I wear it with pride because I don't wear it for me. I wear it for the family, so I don't bring anything home. I I, I somewhat hesitate to to step in here, um, but I think that I I do want to bring up the fact on why the mask is somewhat important. And it's not to protect yourself at all. Um, 
I think that wearing a mask is a really good idea, but the, the purpose of wearing the mask and, and really why the material, the mask is not going to make a whole lot of difference is because you wear a mask to protect everybody else from you. Um, you, you know, you brought up the N95 mask. There's, you know, the N95 obviously is kind of the, the medical standard, if you will, for various reasons for, but for the, for the general public, the N95 is not going to really do much, um, out uh, other than anything else. But the reason that we're trying to to kind of push the mask now is because it does. We're not really sure who who could be sick. You may be sick. You may not be sick. But however many people may be asymptomatic carriers of the virus, every time you cough, every time you sneeze, um, and obviously to a much lesser degree, but even when you, as you breathe, you are expelling little little droplets, um, with, which will be um, with the virus. And if you are able to contain that within the mask and you're not going to expel that into the air, which is then going to travel, you know, you're six to your six feet and then even farther, but with much, with much less virus load, um, you're going to contain that where the, you're, that, that virus is not going to get on all these other people. And so that's really what the mask is for. It's not actually, the mask will not protect you from getting it. If, if, if it's if somebody sneezes and that's up in the air, it doesn't really matter what what mask you happen to be on outside of a, a full health suit. Uh, but that mask is what it's going to do is it's going to protect everybody else from you from all those little um, the, any moisture that, that does come from your mouth. It's not going to go anywhere. Right. And if it doesn't go anywhere, it's not going. It's going to have a much harder time getting one any everyone else sick. Um, and so I I just wanted to. To, to throw that in there, that that's what the, that's why that mask is important. It's protecting everybody else from you because we don't really know who, who might have it, but don't actually expect it to protect you or, or prevent you from getting sick. That's why washing your hands is so important because in the end, all those other people who aren't watched or, you know, using a mask, who knows what all these surfaces may be in. And then mm-hmm. you introduce it, especially because, you know, even when you're talking about masks, masks are somewhat uncomfortable. And what's everybody do when they have a mask? They're always their hands are always over their face, readjusting their mask, pulling it on. Their glasses are fogging up, so we pull it off away from our face. Yeah. Um, and now you've just transferred that. That's why washing our hands is so important because we don't know what everybody else is doing. But us wearing a mask is actually uh, basic again. Just it's preventing us from from spreading it to a much greater degree because it's in a contained space. Yeah. And thank you for pointing that out. That is absolutely everything I've read. Uh, says the same thing. Yeah. You're wearing the masks, not so you don't get it. And we've been saying this here on the show for a long time. Um, it's so that if you have it, when you cough, you sneeze, you talk, you spit, whatever, it's, it's all contained in the it's mask. It's in a contained space. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many you. people at the airport, they go to sneeze. What's the first thing they do? They take the mask off to sneeze and then they put the mask back on. It's, it's supposed to keep the stuff You're completely in. defeating the purpose. <laughs> not, unfortunately, it's not so the stuff doesn't I, get in your face. It's supposed that your stuff yeah. doesn't get out. I have an issue with the gloves. Oh my that, god! You know, I, I the glove thing Don't drives me, me nuts. And there's a lot of people <laughs> wearing the gloves. And you know, it's it, the way I think about it. It's like you know, wearing the glove is like reusing a condom. Because you know, you're going to touch things <laughs> over and over and over again, and it's like you're you're just taking it from point A to point B with the same glove. So when like, like the flight attendant hands me my, you know, hey, what do you want? This, um, I'll take a coke. You know, I'm thinking, oh god, here comes the use reuse condom because she's she's in the galley and she just touched, you know, the 
the coffee maker. She just touched the bathroom doorknob. She just touched the, 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 now my soda. So now I'm getting a soda with the same glove and I'm like, Oh God, use condoms. So Lysol wipes. You have and, got to be kidding. <laughs> you know, and that's decent. a really good point is that, yeah. that people also, they think that these gloves are these, this, this great idea, but 99% of the population is not, it has really has no idea how to use gloves properly. We're not trained to, we should, no. we shouldn't, but gloves are right. not going to protect you. Or they're yeah. not going to protect you from really anything for, yeah, those, the, for the, the reasons you were talking about and more. The surgeon doesn't go from one operating room with the same glove to the next operating room or from one patient to another patient with the same gloves. No. You know, as soon as he's done with you, takes that thing off, disposes them, puts on a new pair of gloves. In the can, in the on. exam room. So, right. Yep. The, the, the glove you know, doesn't leave actually, the There's even a procedure area. to remove those gloves yes. because, you know, it's very easy to infect your hands when you just, by just re- taking them off, by just removing yeah, them. Exactly. It's... it's it's interesting. I, you know, this is one of those things that I guess from a little bit of medical background that I have for, for what I did in college. And also, you know, I have, you know, immediate family, me- multiple me- family members in the medical industry. And so this is kind of the stuff that's, that sometimes we'll talk about, you know, whether it's masks or whether it's yeah. gloves. And, you know, I, I think that in the end, you know, keep it simple, stupid. You know, the mask is to protect everybody else from you. The gloves are, are not going to be all that important and wash your hands. Yeah. And, you know, how many videos, these fail videos, have you seen lately on the internet of people putting, I saw one thing, a guy put a laundry basket over his head and he was in public and running to catch the bus. Granted, it was another country. Okay, I'll just you know, <laughs> say that. But, but I mean, come on. And then one guy cut out like a, a two-gallon jug of water and cut a hole in it so that his, it would fit over his head. So he had this big plastic thing with a little breathing hole. I mean, come on, guys. You know, that's just... Wow. Um, wow. You know, yeah. So to do it right, Roger's absolutely right. You know, the best way to think about the gloves, when you go to the food service place, right? Like they have a Chinese food and they have the steam you know, card out and they, they put gloves on before they help you out and they go, how can I, you know, help you? And you, you, you order your food and they're, they're shoveling all the good Chinese food into their little neoprene or styrofoam or whatever it is, container. And then they close the container, they set it down. And before they touch the register or take their, your money, they take this glove, they remove the glove, one inside the other, toss it. And now they're handling the money and the, that side of it and putting the food in the bag and tying it and you're off. Can you imagine if they didn't take their gloves off and now they're handling your money and touching the register and your credit card and, and, and the bag and the outside of the container. And then they go right back to help the next customer with the same gloves on. I mean, it, it would be disgusting. You would notice that and you would absolutely never go back there again, but we have to follow. I all of a sudden just started to hate money now. I got to touch I, I, money. I think, I think the coronavirus <laughs> might be the last of your worries when it comes to touching your money. That just depends if they're ones uh. or not, right? <laughs> reminds me reminds me of a story. Just a really quick side note. And because you guys are awesome hearing us out. We were driving down the street years ago, and, and there's a little guy pushing this ice cream cart, you know, the little push cart. And my wife says, pull over, pull over. Let's go get, let's get three ice creams for everybody. I'm like, all right, cool, man. Let's get some frescas, you know, some, some good Mexican ice cream. Sure. So I just gave her my wallet and I said, yeah, go get, get whatever for us and jump back in the car and we'll go. Cause I had pulled over on the side of the road and she gets back in the car. She hands us all our popsicles and she hands me back my wallet with this kind of look on her face. And she goes, you know, you have a lot of ones in your wallet. 
are you going to the strip club on your overnights? And I said, no, sweetheart, those are van driver tip ones. I always like to have a lot of ones so that I can tip the van driver because it's going to and coming from the airport. You want to give them a tip because they work hard and they get you there safely on time, you know? And she goes, oh, I thought you were going to the strip club. I said, sweetheart, if I'm going to a strip club where I'm handing out ones, it's not a very good strip club. <laughs> so I have, a, on another a side one. note, another interesting story on that exact subject. And it's kind of an aviation-related story because this was from a, at a previous outfit that I worked with. And we were went on a trip. And we went to, it was like a coin store or something. We made a specific dedicated trip to go there. And he goes in, and I think it was $200 worth. It was a couple, at least a, a couple hundred dollars worth of $2 bills. Okay. We make a specific trip to go, and he gets a, a stack of $200 bills. Or, excuse me, of $2 bills. Uh-huh. You know why he did that? Do the no, girls his, like the two? His theory was just like what you were just talking about, was that when you go to a strip club, then, then these dancers won't notice that it's not a 20. Ah. Because the $2 bill is, is not, it's not a widely circulated bill. And yet if you, if you give so them a $2 bill, the tripper is going to think that Duh. you're giving them a Winning. 20. And so you're going to get a little <laughs> bit of extra. <laughs> that guy is a genius. <laughs> he was, he was a something. I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way. But it was definitely an interesting, you know, I'd never really thought about that. But yeah. I can see where you would get that from. Oh, man. But that reminds me of the Larry the Cable Guy joke about the about that. He goes to the strip club and, you know, he hands the stripper the money and, and the, the stripper slaps him. She says, that's not real money. That's Monopoly money. And he goes, well, those are fake tits. So anyway. <laughs> uh <laughs> But, you know, an hour into it, maybe we should talk about a little bit of aviation stories, shall we? <laughs> I take you guys I off. I told you that, was, that had good. something to do with aviation. <laughs> yeah. You know, the most ironic part of that story is, you know, where, you know where that's, that actually took place? On a layover? It, it was on a layover, but if you had to guess what city, what, oh, we'll what would see. be the most ironic city for that to happen in? The $2 story? The $2 stripper story. Yeah, uh, Vegas. I mean, I don't even know. Oh, ironic. Oh, I don't know. Salt Lake City. Oh, Jesus. Get out. I am dead serious. Dead serious. <laughs> well, you know, when you have one extreme, oh. you usually have the other extreme not very far behind. <laughs> it's true. So I guess it, I was it, gonna it wasn't going to be a local expenditure, I guess. I heard they're really freaky up there in Salt Lake, so. <laughs> they don't get out much. <laughs> It's the lack of alcohol, I guess. That's what she said. <laughs> well, you know, this is great, just riveting stuff, guys. So 41 American Airline pilots and 33 Southwest pilots have tested positive for COVID. Were they washing their hands and, uh, you know, using their gloves and wearing their mask? Who knows? Probably not because, you know, here they are. But think about it. And I've been saying this for quite some time. If I'm gonna if I'm gonna get this virus, it's not gonna be because I didn't wash my hands because I'm a pretty hygienic person to begin with, and it's not gonna be because I'm coughing and sneezing or, or you know 
out there hugging people that are coughing and sneezing. It's because I share a cockpit with a lot of other aviators. And, you know, although we do our due diligence wiping down the cockpit with our approved alcohol wipes or unapproved Clorox bleach wipes or whatever else that people are using, hydrochloric acid, I don't know. I have no idea. But, you know, the unions have now indicated that, you know, a lot of these airline pilots and flight attendants alike uh, have started to test positive. In an article from the Dallas News by Kyle Arnold that came out on April 9th, he indicates that the Union for American Airlines pilots says that 41 of its members have tested positive for COVID-19, joining approximately 100 flight attendants at the company who have also gotten the virus. 33 pilots at Dallas-based Southwest Airlines have also tested positive, their union said. The Allied Pilots Association, which represents 13,800 pilots over at American Airlines, uh, want the airline to provide more protections for both pilots and flight attendants as they are the only group traveling repeatedly and rapidly across the country today. American Airlines has declined to say how many of its employees have confirmed diagnoses of the COVID-19. It has acknowledged, though, that a flight attendant in Philadelphia has died from the disease in late March. Like flight attendants, Americans' pilots' total represents less than 1% of all workers in the group. But the number is growing. Southwest, which has 9,300 pilots, also hasn't released data on its employees with the virus spokesman Brian Parrish said. It's far less than 1% of their workers. On Sunday, American allowed pilots to start wearing face masks. With masks in short supply, they often have to bring their own equipment. The airline's practice changed after the CDC altered its guidance to encourage all Americans to wear face masks in public to prevent the spread of COVID-19 through air droplets. American has also drastically cut flights, particularly in the hard-hit areas around New York City, due to a drop in demand. As you can see, the airlines are now just as affected as they probably always have been. And now that these numbers are starting to come to fruition, they are right on par with the national averages. About 1% of that workforce does get it, um, at least those that have tested positive. What we are not talking about are all the hundreds, if not thousands of individuals that have had it, have gotten over it, and have been asymptomatic throughout the entire process. And that's really the scary part. So we've talked about the masks and the gloves. The fact that the CDC is you know, changing their tune, saying that, yes, wear them in public. And we're starting to see pilots and flight attendants wear them as they're out on the flight line. But it also still keeps that question alive. Why are we still flying airplanes? Well, we got to keep the country moving. We got to keep the things moving. Our essential air service stuff. Um, we've got doctors in the back, uh, first responders going from city to city to help out other uh, other cities and and um, hospitals and clinics and stuff like that. So they gotta they gotta move. We got military people moving around. They still got to go to work. They still got to do their job, and they depend on. Um, they depend on the airlines to get them from uh, point A to point B. And uh, like we talked about earlier, we still got the cargo underneath the uh, airplane. So uh, we got to get that stuff, mail, packages and stuff uh, to, uh, to their destination. Uh, so it, it's, it's imperative that we, uh, we 
we keep operating, albeit at the uh, the reduced capacity that we have been. But uh, uh, like you, we talked about, we're perfectly willing to fly empty airplanes around just to get the cargo to where it needs to be. And and some some sometimes the uh, empty airplanes um, don't. A lot of people don't realize that there are people going from point A. Uh, wherever that plane originated from, they'll have passengers, but from that city departing, they may not have any passengers at all, which would be the empty airplane. So, yeah, yeah, very uh, good point. Anyway. Thank you, Rob, for, for mentioning that. So, in a new segment that we're going to be introducing here to Squawk Ident, it's called WTF. And whenever we read or see some information that makes us question what the heck's going on, we call this segment WTF. Sounds like it's right up, right up my alley. Go ahead. <laughs> In an article by the Huffington Post that was released on the 3rd of April that's entitled, Leak Video Suggests Delta Hid Sick Pilots' Diagnoses from Exposed Flight Crews. A Delta Airlines executive directed pilots who test positive for the coronavirus to withhold the diagnoses from flight attendants and other colleagues, according to a video of an internal discussion among leaders of the Pilots' Union. In a nine-minute video, which appears to have been recorded in secret and posted Thursday to YouTube, a union representative tells the other leaders that one of Delta's chief pilots, also high-ranking regional managers at the company, told air captains, it's not your job to go telling people that you were infected. The company was telling people, hey, don't tell flight attendants you were sick or anything of that nature said the representative, who appears to be Brandon Conwell, a committee chairman at Delta's chapter of the Airline Pilots Association, or ALPA. Delta declined to name the chief pilot or confirm whether it would investigate the remarks. A spokesman said, We are aware of the video and the discussion contained within it. Our initial read is that it is not consistent with our center's of disease control and prevention informed notification process. So a couple of the leaders in the union and a chief pilot wanted to kind of keep everything on wrap and say, hey, it's not your job to go tell other people that you were infected. That's We'll take care of it. And it was interpreted as keep your mouth shut and we'll handle it. The problem is those people that were infected and came in contact with that pilot were not notified, at least not in a timely manner. So this is going to be big. Yeah, that's bad advice. Especially after getting a getting a bailout from the government. I mean, yeah. this could be a lot of liability for Delta. Cuz think of how many people you know that's that could affect, you know, family members, passengers. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's 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 multifaceted. It's crazy. And we talked about I, this I don't last even know time. What to say. Yeah, I got that phone call weeks ago. You know, from my chief pilot in L.A. saying, hey, I hate to be a bearer of this information, but one of your passengers tested positive in March 12th and just want you to be aware that on this flight at Legacy Airlines at this time. So in case you do come down with any kind of um, you know, symptoms, make sure you tell your healthcare provider that you may have been exposed, even though you're in the cockpit and the odds of you being exposed while being in the cockpit, unless you were walking out in the cabin or came in contact with this individual are very, very low. So, and, and, you know, so far I, it's been over a month and I, I don't feel anything about it. So, but yeah. I was informed 
And it was a tough decision for, I'm sure, the chief pilot to have to make those calls. But, you know, in this article, they finished up by saying by Friday, the number of Delta pilots who tested positive for COVID-19 rose to 48. The union said on its website, up from 32 the day before. And in a video, the union executive chairman, Ryan Schensler, said quite a few more pilots exhibited symptoms, but did not receive testing at this time. You know, it's it's bad idea to withhold information, especially now. And the best course of action is always yeah. to inform, to be honest and forthright with your company, with your employees, with your coworkers, yeah. because yeah, what choice? The only have? thing I could think of, I mean, and I'm not trying to uh, to to advocate that what the chief pilot or the union representative said was was uh, good advice, which obviously I don't, I don't I don't think it was to begin with, but you know. And, and then, you know, we all, we're all going to say, Hey, you know, we all have to be professional here, but you know, I, I think also, you know, the chief pilots, the union members, um, and, and the management and everybody they're they're under an extreme amount of, of, uh, stress and pressure right now. You know, they, they need to, you know, they, they the, the airline is struggling for survival basically. Um, and that, you know, they don't want to cancel any flights for, you know, crew members and people not being there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think that's an excuse for what they said or what they did, but, um, you know, just looking at it on, on putting your shoes on somebody, you know, putting on somebody else's shoes, you know, I, I think I could see this would be like a knee jerk reaction from, from somebody and, and it just shouldn't have been said. And, you know, they, they probably should have just went, oh, my gosh, you need to go get checked out. And, you know, let's call all the people like we have been. And I'm sure that's what the protocol is now over there. <laughs> yeah. You know, so and, and every other airline. Uh, but, man, that, that went off. That came off badly for sure. Yeah, this is a really, a, really a pretty sad, sad and unfortunate story. You know, especially when you when you think about it on how how this first and actually even now, but when this first came out and even today about how we're on China, about not about this exact same thing, about not being forthcoming about what was going on. And here we have, you know, a corporation here in America that's doing exactly the same thing um, and withholding withholding the information. And I think that the other thing to kind of remember because it, it seemed, even to me, when this kind of first started, is like you know, oh, you got, you got, this this person was sick, and not that I knew anyone personally, but you know that, you know that that person is like, you know, needs to be outcast, part of this outcast of society, and I think that we really need to get away from that. Like this is not something to, like, you didn't do anything wrong just because you happen to be diagnosed with with this infection doesn't mean that you did anything wrong. That there was anything that you could have done to it. Why are we treating people like? you know, like they're the social outcasts of society. Right. They're, they're just, you can't help this kind of thing. I mean, you know, we talk about the coronavirus, you know, you know, what else is a coronavirus is the common cold. And we don't ostracize people for coming down and when, you know, how are you feeling today? Oh, you know, I got a cold. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And then, and that's the end of that, you know, we'll, 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 we'll we'll do our social distancing thing probably a little bit. Yeah. But in the end, 
you know, there's, we kind of ostracize these people a little bit. And I think that that might've been partially where this came out from is because we didn't, you know, like you were talking about before, we didn't, we didn't want it to get out because we don't want to affect this or we don't want to affect that. And in the end, we have ways that we could have fixed that, especially now with so many airplanes and pilots kind of sitting around, but yeah. Yeah. This article, uh, the article that you just read about, um, the, uh, Delta airlines guy and the chief pilot, Kind of reminds me of of a similar situation that's going on in U.S. Navy, where that Navy admiral, the cat or the captain of that ship, you know, called in basically a mayday for his crew, and you know the Navy's like, you know, you're being removed from command, you you violated protocol and and all that stuff, and and uh, I even heard some article or or I don't know if it was an interview where another. Um, you know, Navy captain was saying, well, yeah, you know, if you, you don't do that. If, you know, if you have a ship full of men and you're in a wartime situation, you're never going to make that call. And I'm like, well, we're not in war. Obviously we're at war with the virus, but we're not at war with another country actively, you know, blowing things up with an aircraft carrier. Uh, so, and, and then come to find out, you know, I don't know how many crew members I think, uh, I think uh, this is a wall street journal um article it says officials wave wave findings of probe as more than 400 crew members have now tested positive for the for the test yep last i heard so now uh, 100 were still on the ship and right and in an, in another wtf moment ladies and gentlemen the admiral that <laughs> yeah, there we go to out there to guam to get on board ship <laughs> Is so that he could personally deliver the information to those sailors that the reasoning behind firing that Navy captain over whistleblowing basically and letting those letters get out because he did not follow the chain of command. That is a big no-no. And because of that, he was ousted. Do you know that that cost the U.S. tax dollars over $230,000 to fly him out there just so he can say in person what a bad guy that captain was? I mean... What the what? Yeah. WTF, man. Yeah, what the and, <laughs> yeah it's bad. $230,000 tax dollars. I got it. And I got a hint. I don't, I don't even know the name of the actual captain, but I got to say, you know, whatever he did, uh, here it is. Reinstating Captain Brett Crozier. Um, that's his name. So I got to say, Captain Crozier, you did a hell of a job. You did the right thing. You know, you took the, the health and the safety of your men first. And, um, you know, try to get them some help. And it's unfortunate that our own United States Navy commanders and leaders uh, chose to uh, react, did that knee-jerk reaction, just like we talked about, and, uh, and, and did, didn't do the right thing, the proper thing, the correct thing. You know, this is a pandemic. And with, with you know, a mayday call like he had, and this is how you're going to react, uh, that's completely unacceptable absolutely and just to as a matter of fact you guys should be the ones that are going to be court-martialed and be held accountable for this that's what i would say at minimum investigated for their actions because you know just to reiterate you know the businessinsider.com there is an article entitled the navy hasn't ruled out reinstating the aircraft carrier captain fired over his handling of the coronavirus outbreak and in there, it does indicate that Admiral Michael Gilday, the chief of naval operations, told the Associated Press that he hadn't decided against reinstating Crozer. Um, I am talk. I am taking no options off the table, he said. So, you know, 
as a civilian and as someone who absolutely respects the armed services of the United States and the sanctity of that organization of the U.S. military, I really hope that they reconsider and put him back into his previous position because although he may not have followed the chain of command, although that, you know, his letters were leaked and he kind of helped expedite that process in order to get help. He sounded the alarm in the way he felt he had to and look at the reaction he got. He he's getting medical attention. His actions were justified for sure. I, I think so too. Yeah. And, and I hope that in time we'll find out that, you know, the, the Admiral of the Navy feels the same way. You know, the airline industry has taken its share of hits as well. In an article from the National Public Radio website, npr.org, entitled Airline Flights Into and Out of New York City Cut Drastically Because of Coronavirus. This article was written on April 6th and posted by David Shaper. He writes that the airports around the world are a lot quieter these days, with hardly anyone flying because of travel restrictions to help slow the spread of the coronavirus. And some of the nation's busiest airports are about to get even quieter. As airlines slash service this week into and out of three major New York City area airports. American Airlines announced that as of Tuesday, April 7th, it will reduce the number of departures from LaGuardia, JFK, and Newark to just 13 a day. That's down from an average of 270 flights a day last April. Eight of those flights will be from LaGuardia and three each from JFK in Newark. According to airline industry observers, for the first time since the 1940s, American will not have a nonstop flight from New York to Los Angeles. United Airlines is cutting the number of flights into and out of the region to 17 a day, 15 of those from its hub at Newark, and just two from LaGuardia. United doesn't fly from JFK. JetBlue, which has a hub in JFK, has eliminated 80% of its flights there, and Spirit has suspended all service to and from the New York area. Delta will have the busiest flight schedule with 51 daily departures from the three airports, 29 from JFK, 15 from LaGuardia, and 7 from Newark. The airlines say that the reduction in flights is due to a combination of high number of coronavirus cases in the New York metro area and an effort to minimize employees' potential exposure to the virus and the sharp reduction in demand. American spokesperson Ross Feinstein said in a tweet that the airline's busiest flight out of LaGuardia on Sunday had only 27 passengers on a 737-800 that seats 172. Let's just say that flight boarded quickly, but not as quickly as the nine flights from JFK and LaGuardia with only one passenger each. Most of the service cuts are effective until early May. That's insane. Yeah, if we, we probably learned, um, and Roger, I don't remember if you were at um, Sandpiper Airways during the bankruptcy, um, but uh, New York is like the moneymaker for, you know, it's, you know, obviously there's all the money legacies. makers everywhere. All the legacies. That's a, that's a high dollar hubs. area, right? So that's a huge hit. 
And um, I'm reading also here that, you know, there's a, approximately 9,000 employees that work for legacy airlines in the, at those airports. And, uh, you know, just to operate, I mean, how many passengers did we just say there's less than a hundred yeah. <laughs> between all three to, through all three airports have 9,000 employees and, and then come to think about it too. Um, those, a lot of those employees depend on the mass transit system that, uh, in, in the, uh, the New York area. So, you know, they're being exposed to all that get just getting to work and going home. So it, I, I think it's a great, great call. Hopefully, uh, you know, this whole thing will pass and we can get everybody back to work and start getting things going again up there. Yeah. And New York's an unfortunate, a a very unfortunate story up there. I think mass transit played a a large part in it probably, but if if you just look at the, the numbers for, for the country, for the United States, I think it's more than half the entire country's cases are up in New York. And, and so the, the only way I, I think that shutting down that area is probably the best way to try and keep it somewhat contained in that area. Again, I don't have great answers, you know, but that, that whole area is just really unfortunate. And obviously to, to, to cut back the flying, I think is probably really important and good thing because obviously there's a, a large statistical amount of people that are from that area. And the, the more that you can keep them from getting out, the better it's going to be because in the end i mean it, it was brought in you know i think it was brought in from europe i was just reading something the other day about the the particular strain that that seems to be circulating in in new york is from europe in and to keep that in that area and not spread it is is going to be a really important thing unfortunately the the population density there is the highest in the entire country as well and so between the population density and that mass transit it's it's a, a really sad and unfortunate scenario however the the good news is is it does look you know while it's very dim there is a light at the end of the tunnel and it does look like they're they're kind of starting to plateau a little bit where their hospitalizations are, are starting to come down so right. um all my best to to all the new yorkers out there uh you guys are definitely kind of leading the fight for the rest of us and our hearts go out to you um you know yeah. now and and into the future yep yeah. Yep. Definitely. Absolutely. Well said. You know, and New York. I mean, you're you're stacked one on top of the other. You know, it, it's it's not a surprise that in, in a metropolitan area like New York, the biggest city, you know, and Chicago's not too far behind. You know, you're just you're stacked on top of each other, and it just makes sense that it has spread and has overwhelmed their their system. You know, but meanwhile, I don't know if you've seen this article, guys. United Airlines could soon resume U.S.-China passenger flights. Article came out April 5th from Forbes.com in an article written by Will Horton, senior contributor of Aerospace and Defense. United Airlines could announce it will soon resume passenger flights to China, which is rebounding after strong measures brought the corona outbreak under control. United would likely fly between San Francisco and Shanghai, Pudong. Demand is increasing for United as business resumes in China and its U.S. corporate customers reestablish supply chains. Various economic indicators estimate China's output at over 70%, yet these improvements occur as Chinese airlines are required to temporarily reduce international flights. While U.S. airlines suspend flights to China starting in January, Chinese airlines continued to fly. 
Air China flew seven to nine weekly flights into the U.S. until late March, but this month its schedule shows it having only one flight a week, creating passenger spillover that United could pick up. I mean, is this a good idea? Do you? What do you? Because I'm getting conflicting information. What are you guys hearing? That well, I think that there's a couple things with that. Um, you know, I think United from from the legacies is I think had the most flights that was operating to Asia or into China from before. And so they're probably going, they were probably pulling more money from that, which leads into then point two, which I mean, airlines are desperate for any, for any kind of revenue stream and China is opening back up. And if you see an opportunity to, to, to get that revenue stream back, I think that you're probably going to, to hop on that is where I think a lot of that's going to come from, even though, you know, yeah, it is a little bit of conflicting information. Um, I won't say whether it's right or wrong, but I'm sure that United sees an opportunity there that says, Hey, if, if China's coming back and the demand is going to be there and I can start to, and I can start generating a stream of revenue, we're going to do whatever it is that's, that's going to be able to accomplish that. Yeah. Who knows? So now I'm also hearing things about how in China they're starting to have people that have survived the coronavirus that are now being reinfected. I mean, who knows? We can't really depend on this information. Uh, it's obvious that, you know, this uh, information we're getting is not really as reliable as we would like because we have to consider the source. Um, but I don't think this is a good idea. And in the article itself is speculation because it says it may start up and it's not a definitive thing. But it does make sense because everyone's hurting for, for getting those airplanes back in the air. And we've all seen those countless videos. I believe I posted one just the other day that was just an amazing helicopter video from all the airports around the nation that have wide-body airliners parked on closed runways because they're not in the air. And it is an amazing thing to see. I think the interesting thing is, I mean, from a, whether it's a good idea or not, I mean, I would think that it would be a worse idea from China's standpoint, because right now China's, you know, seemingly from the information that we have is has a whole lot less domestic cases or community cases. Everything is being brought in. And so if for them to let a foreign air carrier, which United Airlines would be to them, I mean, that would then be if I was China, I would look at, okay, this is, this is going to be a risk to us because we're now going to be taking, you know, the United States and we're now leading the entire world in cases. Um, I'll be where I, you know, obviously a much bigger country than most others, but now we're going to have the risk of bringing those, those cases into and reintroducing the virus into uh, the Chinese community. Yeah. I, I truly believe until we have some kind of way to measure who's had it and who's had, who hasn't had it, the antibody test in conjunction with more access to this COVID testing until those two factors become a given for all people. I really don't see it being a good move because of the potential for a redistribution of the spread. Absolutely. And Flight Global came out with an article uh, on the 6th of April that was interesting. Uh, it said that it's entitled HSBC expects European airlines consolidation among the COVID-19 crisis. And this is interesting because we were kind of talking about this a few episodes ago, 
of what's going to happen, who's going to fall, who's going to get merged, who's going to go bankrupt. And, you know, it's hard to say, and, and it's not something you as a pilot want to see out there. But in this article, they talked about how the coronavirus crisis will speed up airline industry consolidation across Europe as less profitable carriers fail or are taken over by leaner competitors, according to the analysts by HSBC. We expect financially weak airlines that survive to be significantly smaller as they exit the outbreak. The bank writes in an update of its sector coverage, where these businesses have strategically relevant market positions, we would expect them to be absorbed by the stronger entities. HSBC's analyst covers Aegean Airlines, Air France, KLM, EasyJet, Finnair, and a list of European carriers that I will not bore you with, but they're all there. And they also noted that the government support for labor markets through furloughing schemes has been greater than anticipated. HSBC says it expects these airlines will manage to reduce their staff headcounts by around 50% for the June-December period. This compares with the estimates of around 30% in its previous models, which ran to the end of June. The bank also highlights more optimistic news on leasing. Back in March, it expected airlines to negotiate only moderate lease reductions, placing carriers with owned fleets in a better financial position than those that rely on leased aircraft. Now it highlights comments made during IAG's full-year 2019 result briefing in which the group said that leasers were backing winners that they expected to survive the crisis and offer them the opportunity to defer payments. So in Europe, they're seeing this as a potential for many airlines to become few through consolidation. And here in the U.S., we as aviators have kind of talked about the airlines that maybe don't have the financial resources to last six months without much revenue are going to collapse. And what are they going to do? What happens to the employees, the contracts, the airplanes? And are they going to be absorbed or are we just going to be a lot thinner of an airline industry? And I think the latter is the case where we've already started to see this. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how the European market's really doing financially or anything like that, but it does seem like there's a lot of carriers over there, <laughs> you know, when you read articles and stuff like that. So I can see something happening um, uh, in the near future if this uh, crisis isn't over relatively quickly. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you still have your, uh, what do they call them, state-owned or state-run or state-funded Mm -hmm. You know, airlines like the Qatars, I believe that's one of them, and 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 uh, United Arab Emirates, so or Emirates. So I think you know those those uh, airlines will be okay, but the uh, the smaller ones, uh, yeah, I can't even think of Ryan, like Ryanair is Ryanair yeah, one of I mean, them. Um, yeah, low cost. So carriers, stuff like uh -huh. that. I, yeah, I think I think they're gonna have um, some. Pretty big decisions to make coming up here pretty soon if this isn't over relatively shortly. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I don't, I, you know, like Rob was talking about, I don't really know the situation in Europe. I, I do, as as you said, there's a lot more carriers. Um, well, there's a lot more countries. I mean, we talk about Europe as an entire continent. We talk about the United States. 
you know, as just a single country. And so, you know, it's kind of comparing apples to oranges in some ways, but um, I think we already went through a large part of the consolidation here in the United States. We're down to the three legacies. I do think that all three of the legacies will make it through. Um, and obviously that's not going to come without government help, um, which has already taken place. I, I do wonder what's going to happen to the regional airline industry here in the United States. I, some of the weaker ones, I think that the legacies might start identifying some of their their weaker carriers that maybe they you know were looking at hey what's what's going to be the what was going to be our end game or how how is this going to phase out is you know with the pilot shortage that that <laughs> that we had a month ago we don't have it now but the pilot shortage that was a month ago you know how is this all going to work out and and those legacy carriers might might figure out as we and we've already seen and talked about a couple of those regional airlines here that that have or stopped operations or stopping operations imminently. And I think that the the growth of the ultra low cost carriers is going to be a big question mark. We've got Spirit and Allegiant and um, Frontier being the, the three that, that come off the top of my head, but because um, they're still in their growth phases. Yeah. This is probably hurting them. And I'm not sure how, how they are going to fare because, you know, this is probably the one and only thing that could have stopped the growth. Um, of them, you want to look at Europe and the ultra low cost carriers in Europe, and they're they're carrying a huge percentage of the of the population or the the total amount of people flying in Europe, and it's a very small percentage here. I think it was like forty percent in Europe versus two percent here. Don't quote me on those numbers, but the disparity is is real. And so I think that there was a large, a, a huge upswing, or those those companies thought that there was a huge market share that they could capture. And now I that will be the interesting thing to me. But in terms of the the rest of the airline industry, will it be leaner? Yeah, but I think on the on the long term, they're going to come back the way that they were before. Um, this is, you know, I won't say short term anymore. Um, but but this is a temporary thing. You know, yeah. it remains to be seen how temporary temporary is going to yeah. be. But the airlines are going to come back. We kind of, you know, the airlines are essential to a large degree, which is you know. Yeah. Going back to that question on why are the airlines still flying? Because in the end, there was a lot of things that e- even though it doesn't look anything remotely close to what it did a month ago, there are still a fair amount of people flying. You know, there's you know still hundreds of thousands of yeah. people flying every every day. Right. Um, yeah. And and we still need to move those people around. And when this does pass, and you know, even if it takes twelve to eighteen months for this to completely go to to come to pass, everything will come back. I think. Not immediately, but you bring, look a little bit different, but yeah, you're also, you're touching on a couple of things, uh, or actually one thing that that's probably a good podcast for another, uh, another subject for another podcast, but it's the pilot hiring thing. You like we said, they, we were hiring like crazy right up until all this happened. And now look where we're at. The, the complete 180 reversal swing of things where people are hiring departments uh, you know, must be pulling their hair out with this. It's I going can't imagine crazy, what but, that, that, what that's gotta be like. Yeah. But, but now just think what, you know, what they're forecasting and, and, you know, the anticipation that things are going to return to somewhat normal. Obviously there, there's, there's a lot of different things, uh, stories flowing around where it's not going to return to what 2022 or 2021 or something like that. But still, the the reversal from hiring to virtually not really furloughing, but close to furloughing. Two extremes. To now we're gonna have easily. To, 
Absolutely. Exactly. It's, it, there's, we're still going to need pilots. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about this months back when we were talking about how the regional airline industry in its current model could not sustain itself in the future. But we were talking about this for different reasons. Back then, we yeah. were saying that we just don't have enough people learning to get you know, their, their ratings getting their pilot's licenses, and the pool was drying up. We were scraping the bottom of the barrel in order to try to fill those seats at a regional airline because there was so much transition into the majors and into legacy carriers. We were hiring like gangbusters, as were the regionals. And what was happening is, uh, at some point, there were cancellations in flights because... They just didn't have the flight crews to fly these flights that they were under contract. We didn't have the flight crews. We didn't have, now flight we have crews. too many flight crews in the span of four weeks. That's unbelievable. But here's what my prediction of how this is going to look like in a year or two is we knew that the regional model was not going to sustain itself. And we knew that because of the way it was designed, we just didn't have enough people that were learning to fly. The FAA's numbers were showing dramatic declines in people going out and getting private pilot license, getting commercial ratings and whatnot, because it got super expensive. It, it just was not feasible. The FAR regulations requiring 1,500 hours added a huge hurdle for potential pilots to overcome. And this slowed down everything. Does that bring in a more qualified, a more high-quality product into the seat of an airliner? Absolutely. But it was a bigger challenge. Now that this has happened, when it does return, it will not ever go back to the way it was. So the term going back to normal is kind of a catch-22. I think it'll be a new normal, and the new normal will be we're going to see the airlines as they were in the late 70s. We're going to have commuters where there are very few regional airlines out there left, and that will be the, the entry-level position. And we're going to start to see them doing a lot of hub-and-spoke back to what they were doing because we're going to be a much leaner major airline. And with all these retirements and early retirements and the regularly scheduled retirements that were going to happen in the next 10 years, I think that's going to dramatically help to keep guys off the street, to prevent furloughs, to prevent downturns in the requirements to have these pilots. I just think that when we get back to normal or the new normal, we just won't have as many regional pilots out there. They're going to be there. And I think that maybe a, a, a possibility, which I think would be really good for the airline industry that I, I never really thought about, but, but you talking made me think about this, is we've already cut flights. And if we look at just the regional air, just the regional carriers, but we've already cut a bunch of flights that, you know, maybe it's a place like well, Gulfport, Mississippi. You, know, you can take a pick of, of any of these. But now we, we've gone from flying a, maybe a 50 or a 70 seat jet four, five, six times a day. It's now down to one. Maybe we keep that one or two flights a day. And as demand starts to come back, we can start putting a bigger airplane on it. But as that happens, we're going to slowly start phasing. We're going to have to slowly start phasing out those regional air, airplanes, those 50 and 70 seaters. And maybe we can eventually or they can eventually. OK, well, now we're now we're in a 70 seat jet. Now we're in a, you know, maybe you've got a CRJ 900 or, or something. And then we can fold that into whatever the next thing is, whether that's an Airbus 319. And then that's going to that's going to be the way to then 
fold everybody into the legacy carriers where we don't need as many pilots because instead of flying six times to Gulfport, Mississippi, and I'm sorry if you're from Gulfport, I do apologize for that. But instead of flying six times to Gulfport, Mississippi, you're only going to fly two flights, except you're going to get a mainline Airbus 319 um, just, just as a smaller airplane, but now we, we don't require nearly as many pilots and we're going to kill two birds with one stone in a way. And we're going to do it by, by using this as a, as a springboard because we've already done it. We've already cut the flights back back to to the way it was in the seventies when, you know, you had a a seven twenty seven go into Grand Rapids, Michigan once a day, Yeah, filled it halfway up. And you had regional airlines, but they were much, much smaller. They were just a much, much smaller entity. You know, and, and who's to know? what's going to happen. We're just going to have to wait and see with the rest of us. Um, you know, and this downturn, this, you know, flipping on edge here of this industry, you can, if you look and read enough about it, it's amazing what's happening. We're seeing things that we've never seen before. And in an article from NPR.org, Boeing and Airbus both halt production. The future of airline manufacturing is uncertain. This is an article by David Shaper that came out on April 6th of 2020. He writes that two more big airplane manufacturing facilities are shut down because of the coronavirus outbreak. Airbus is temporarily halting production and its manufacturing plant in Mobile, Alabama, where it makes Airbus A220s and 320 passenger jets, idling about 1,100 employees. And Boeing is closing down its 787 campus in North Charleston, South Carolina, affecting about 7,000 workers. Airbus says that the Alabama plant shutdown will continue through at least April 29th. But the company says there will be no layoffs at the factory. A company spokesperson says those who can continue to work remotely will do so, but those who cannot will continue to be paid during the three-week pause in production. Airbus has already temporarily shut down most of its European aircraft manufacturing plants and have many industries suppliers here and abroad. Boeing's decision to shut down the 787 plant comes after South Carolina's governor issued a stay-at-home order. Republican Harry McMaster has been one of eight governors holding out on ordering residents to remain at home except for essential trips, but he reversed course on Monday. Employees who can work remotely at Boeing will continue to be paid during the entire duration of the plant's shutdown. The article continues to talk about some of the analysts predicting long and slow recovery once travel restrictions are lifted, and in January, Airbus announced it would ramp up production at the Mobile plant and hire hundreds of additional workers, but now, with an unprecedented drop in air travel, airlines are canceling orders of new airplanes. Boeing has already begun offering employees pay and benefits, incentives to leave the company, as it plans to scale back production of its bigger, longer-range aircraft. So, not only are we going to see the effects here on the regional scale, at least according to what we're predicting, but we're already seeing a reduction in the wide body, long range scale as well. And that's where all the growth was, at least here at Legacy Airlines, all the talk was into the international market. And that's where all the money was. So what are we going to see? That is uncertain. 
Yeah, I I think Boeing right now is one of the air uh, one of the airlines one of the companies that are are really fragile right now because of the not only the coronavirus stuff that's going on shutting down the plant 787 plant um, the Max is a is a huge huge thorn in their side right now um, they also have a contract with the U.S. Air Force or their newest tanker um, that's having problems. They, uh, they can't fly the airplane the way it was designed to fly with the cargo in the back uh, due to the flooring not being prop. Uh, I don't know the whole story, but basically the, the cargo floor uh, is unable to hold the straps or the weight or the some, something to do with the way the cargo floor is built. Uh, we'll have to find the article and, and read about it. But um, that's a huge issue for them. So the Air Force is having issues with Boeing right now. So uh, from a from a aviation point of view Boeing is is hurting in in you know all different areas of their of their business and uh, Airbus yeah I, you know that that's that's uh, also a huge huge problem for them if they can't um, you know people are canceling orders and they, they're not gonna employ um, some people and stuff like that so and then also you know this we always I always say this is all little companies that contract to those companies you know all they're all being hurt too you know all the little suppliers that supply the 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 manufacturers with materials and parts and products and stuff like that and or services you know they're they're going to be have they're going to have issues too so yeah it's it's far-reaching uh when you talk about all this stuff shutting down or closing down temporarily yeah i think that the far-reaching aspect of it is is kind of hitting the nail on the head because in the end what we talk about here is just a subset of what's going on right now we talk about about it with an aviation twist but but really aviation is just i mean this is a global a global event that has nothing to do with aviation this is an, a global an unprecedented global event that has completely just you know cut the world off at the knees and the aviation industry is just one of any number of other of of other industries that are trying to figure out their way trying to navigate their way through these unprecedented times there's not a playbook for this you can't look back into history and go well this is this is what we should do to try and fix this i mean everyone talks about the 1918 spanish flu pandemic which which obviously there's some parallels but um but that's really from from a virus standpoint, not in how the world works. The world is a completely different place than it was back in 1918. We have nothing that we can go back to to figure out how, you know, what this is going to look like. All this is just kind of, well, the aviation industry has been affected. And we talked about that because this is an aviation podcast. But in the end, everybody is just trying to figure out how to navigate through this. And people can't work. People, you know, those those plants shut down because of the social distancing and because of the quarantine, the quarantine issues. Well, why am I, I can't run a factory? I got to shut a factory down when everyone's supposed to be sheltering the place because it's for health purposes. It doesn't have anything to do with flying an airplane built or unbuilt or anything. It's just we're trying to, in the end, we're trying to protect the human race and trying to, you know, protect yeah. our neighbor. Um and, and trying to figure out how we're going to go forward is is anybody's guess in the, the aviation industry and you know whether it's American Airlines or United Airlines or Boeing or or anyone that's not in the aviation industry is just kind of 
waiting for this to kind of blow over so that then they can at least take a step to figure out what they're what they're going to do and how we're going to make this this work going forward so it's really a, a you know an, a sad and even scary time you know for everybody just you know whether you're a pilot or a, it goes to really show you how fragile not only our industry but the economy and everything else is uh you know it's so dependent on multiple things all going right at the same time and you know when they just shut everything down and, and everything, shutter everything it's it's incredible i mean who yeah. would have ever thought that or, i mean who could have even pictured something like this happened i mean obviously uh, hollywood can because we, we've got you know, these <laughs> movies but but you watch these movies hollywood and, you and go, bill hey, gates you know, I mean, who Bill would Gates have ever thought something? And, and Bill Gates, you know, and obviously there are some people that, yeah. <laughs> you know, and even actually it was interesting. It, it, a few days ago, um, you know, George W. Bush, back, I think it was in 2005, read a book and started the federal government into looking into something exactly like this because he was so he was so moved by what this book had seen. He, he's like, look, this is something that we need to look into and kind of have a playbook for. But in the end, because of the globalization and because you know, uh, the way plus, the corporations work, yeah. any number of things, it gets put on the back burner. And yet, all of a sudden, here we are, and we have absolutely no idea what to do. I certainly don't yeah. know what to do. Um, it's, it's crazy it really time. And in this, and a little bit scary. Very scary. I and think. we got to keep keep in mind the young people out there, our children, the young adults, even um, some of them. And in our fellow aviators as well, you know, we've said it before on Squawk Ident, and I just want to take this opportunity to say it again. Your company, if you're flying for a company or flying even for a private individual, or and if you're not, and you're just you're in school still, your healthcare system, your university, they're all going to have a program set in place for employee assistance. Whether that's the employee assistance program, EAP, if you're flying for a carrier, they're going to have a program available. I know at Legacy Airlines, we have a phenomenal program that's set in place. And if you just need to call and talk to somebody, do so. It is, it is no shame in just saying to some stranger on the other side of the phone, hey, I'm, I'm providing for my family and I'm scared to go to work with all this. And 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 if you need to talk to somebody, by all means, I know we're very fortunate. The three of us sit here, we're constantly communicating back and forth. You know, this this hobby turned into this podcast that's, you know, doing great and and it's just a lot of fun that we get to talk to each other. We get to to give our views and opinions out there. And so we have a little bit of an advantage here where we can kind of we have each other. Um, on, on, among all the others that we talk to on a daily basis and family and friends. So if you're out there listening, by all means, if you need help, get it. I'll put some more information in the show notes where you can reach out as well. But in all of this, I was inspired this week because someone had sent me a link to a brand new YouTube channel that's uh, put on by a prominent actor in the industry, both film and television, uh, Mr. Uh, was it John Krasansky? And he has a show that he's producing from his home while in isolation called SGN or Some Good News. And wow, this thing went viral. He's have he's got two episodes out right now. In his second episode, 
went viral after he put on a show to just spread all the good news that's out there on the internet and get away from all the negativity of what's going on in the world. So as some inspiration hit, I decided, you know what, it's time we kind of end the show every week with some good news as well. So here it is. We're going to end the show with some positivity here and brought to you by an article by the points guy, which by the way, a lot of the information I get is from the points guy. He's uh, been putting up quite a, a lot about travel and aviation. And in this article entitled American donates 81,000 pounds of Admiral's Club and in-flight food to food banks. It's written by Zach Wichter, and it was written on April 10th of 2020. And he writes that the coronavirus pandemic has taken a stark toll on Americans' economy. In the past few weeks, more than 16 million citizens have filed for unemployment, a record-breaking reminder of the disease's social impact. The travel industry has been hit particularly hard with demand for airline tickets and new hotel reservations in a freefall. That's left American Airlines with a surplus of unserved food that was originally intended for in-flight meals and Admiral's Club's catering. Now the airline has decided to put that food to good use and donate it to food banks around the country. We saw this as an opportunity to care for communities where our team members and customers live and work, Ron DeFeo, Senior Vice President, Global Engagement for American, said in a statement. The challenges facing local food banks and the growing need for families to utilize the resources these organizations offer have been well documented. Once we learned of the surplus, we knew exactly what we were going to do with it. With unemployment claims continuing to rise, food banks have seen a jump in demand for their services. To help answer that demand, American has donated more than 81,000 pounds of food so far this month. The airline said its donations include everything from breakfast items to fresh produce. The American employees have found other ways in helping the national COVID-19 response, too. Workers across the airline's network have started making face masks to distribute to their colleagues and other frontline workers whose jobs deny them the opportunity to socially distance. In Miami, a team of American employees even converted a boarded-up Admirals Club into a temporary textile factory. According to American, its employees have sewn more than 1,300 masks in the last week. That's pretty awesome, man. That's really awesome. And I think that's kind of happening uh, across the country where um, other businesses are, are changing what they uh, make or develop and, and try to help contribute to the, uh, to, uh, you know, all these first responders and, um, you know, making masks, uh, respirators and stuff like that, or uh, other kinds of medical devices. And that's, I think that's really awesome. Back to, like you said, World War II, the uh, Rosie the Riveter, you know, they're just, they're, they're just all hands on deck. Let's, let's uh, do what we got to do to get through this and, and um, help where we can and, um, and move on. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And American Airlines is not the only one. Delta Airlines is donating 200,000 pounds of Sky Club food for coronavirus relief 
as well. And so we're starting to see this. And, and this is great news because in a time where people are proud, people were previously employed restaurant, you know, waitresses and waiters and bartenders and all these services industry people that are out on the street, furloughed or unemployed, and they're in food lines more than ever before. This is great news to hear how these two airlines have really started to lead by example on what they can do to help. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I actually, you, you talked about the food workers and a few episodes back when we talked, um, I, I, uh, gave a little shameless plug to my buddy in Santa Barbara there yes, at the yes. Hollister Brewing Company. And yeah. And so that, you know, you reminded me of this, the whole thing, the situation that he's going through and, you know, he's, he's exact, he's in the same exact situation that a lot of these companies are where he's had to totally change the way he does business and do everything carry out. So, um, I've seen, I talked to him the other day and, and he says, you know, they're, they're catering to all the local companies or they're, they're saying, Hey, you call us up. We'll come out there and we'll cater your, uh, your lunch, your dinner or whatever to your office. Um, you know, we have, we have uh, to go stuff, you know, growlers and sandwiches and, you know, a whole to go menu. And then, uh, they have a lot of regulars at that restaurant. And, uh, he was encouraging the regulars or even the just people, the random people to, uh, you know, leave, leave a tip to their favorite server that they usually, uh, that they usually go see whenever they go to the, the restaurant. And so he has, you know, uh, envelopes up on the wall. So when they, when they come to pick up the to-go item or whatever, they, you know, they throw a tip to uh, the server who's no longer can work there because there, there's really no job for them yeah. to do. So, uh, he's doing what he can to, to stay alive. And he's also having to go through all the paperwork to, to, um, apply for, for some government help and funding all the small businesses and stuff like that. And he's saying that it's daunting. The paperwork is hundreds of pages long and they, they ask for all kinds of information. That's really detailed stuff. And the way he explained it was that the government, uh, doesn't want to loan you the money unless you have tapped into every single dollar or resource that you have available yeah. already to yourself. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm like, man. And he says, if you get anything wrong, it spits it back out. And you Government paperwork in triplicate. So, yeah. yeah, we know that one. Yeah, yeah. it's frustrating. It's frustrating yeah. for everybody. Yep. Well, gentlemen, uh, any uh, final thoughts before we call it an evening? Go ahead, Roger. You go first. I got nothing. I don't, I don't think so. I ain't got nothing. <laughs> I got nothing. I just want to say, uh, hey, be safe. You know, hey, er everybody is uh, is relying on everybody else to do the right thing and, and you know, wash your hands and cover your coughs and your sneeze and stuff like that. And, and um, you know, I just pray that we all can get this behind us really quickly and, and we can get back to normal. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's like you were just talking about with, with United and Delta donating that food, it's, it is kind of nice in, in a way that uh, these corporations we're getting, we're, we're taking a little bit of a step back from the corporate make money at all costs kind of thing that, you know, even though, you know, specifically talking about American and Delta here, that even though they're hemorrhaging money, you know, hand over fist, they're still giving 
they're still giving the food away, which is, I, I think, absolutely the the human or humane, maybe humane thing to do. Um, and it's not just them, but a, a lot of other corporations, you know, Rob, you brought up um, World War II, and it is absolutely kind of a, a wartime mentality. And and to see these corporations kind of take a step back from that, I think is is heartening to see for lack of better terms, even though it took something as, as unfortunate as this, because it's obviously the, the cons far outweigh the pros. Um, but to, to see just one of those, those small glimmers of hope, um, I think is really important through this because there's a lot of people hurting and, and I guess my part, my parting words would just be that, you know, my heart and prayers thoughts go out to all those people you know, Tony, you, you mentioned at the beginning, the first responders, absolutely. Um, New Yorkers, I mean, every, everybody that's that's been affected by this, the, the millions of people that have lost their job. You know, my heart goes out to you and, and all the best. We will get through this um, together. And I think that that's just kind of my, my parting thoughts for this episode. Yeah. And, you know, I just want to say thank you to both of you gentlemen. Uh, it is an honor to be able to sit down with you and have these conversations, be able to use the technology available to us to to have this you know, Zoom conference call where we can talk to each other. We got some pretty awesome uh, sound quality on this episode. I'm very happy about that. And, you know, to to expand on, you know, what both Roger and Rob have said here, you know, we just want to say from the Squawk Ident family here, the Squawk Ident crew, thank you to all the frontline workers, doctors, nurses, pharmacists, EMT, medical techs, firefighters, law enforcement, grocery store employees, truck drivers, Amazon workers, and of course, all of the airline employees that show up to work every single day to provide the essential services that we provide. It's not easy. It's scary. And we have our own families to think about. But the fact that we set aside our own well-being to show up, to go to work, to wear whatever mask we have to wear, to wash our hands, to use hand sanitizer constantly. You know, it's easier to just curl up and stay at home and log on and play video games or whatever until we're blue in the face. But at the end of the day, you know, we're also, you know, in charge of going out and flying. And we get to do that. We still get to do that. And I'm very grateful. I know, gentlemen, that you guys are both grateful to still be able to fly. And, you know, whatever happens in the future, we're going to be here to talk about it, to, to boost each other, to get through this. And to all the listeners out there, feel free to reach out to us. You can do that from the website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor the number eight, Romeo Tango, OscarNovember.com. There you can leave us feedback. You can check out episode cover art and episode archives and even visit the pilot shop. So to all of you gentlemen and to all of those listeners out there that are enjoying the show, thank you so much for your support, for listening, and we love to hear more about it. So send us some feedback and we'll talk to you soon. Gentlemen, thank you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Roger. Good luck. You bet, guys. Yep, Take care. Be safe here. out there. See you. Cheers. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that wraps up episode 37. Are you enjoying Squawk Ident? 
please visit our website at www.aviatortony.com. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November Yankee.com. There you can check out episode cover art, episode archives, the pilot shop. You can leave audio feedback. And very importantly, if you can, you can also become a producer of the show by leaving a small financial contribution to help us out with the expenses of the show. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter users can search Squawk Ident Podcast or Aviator Tony and Squawk Ident to follow on the socials. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you like what you hear, it would be great if you could just leave us a real quick review, a like, and a share. In closing, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen to this Grateful Aviator. Keep the dirty side down, be safe, and take care of each other. Thank you.